This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. During his earthly ministry, not even Yeshua's closest disciples understood his dual role as Messiah. Believers today understand Yeshua's first role, but are we truly prepared for his return? Is there something we can learn from Jewish expectations and qualifications of our mutual savior king? Nehemiah Gordon joins Michael Rood tonight because it's the end of the sixth day, the sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live. Shabbat Shalom, Torah fans. Welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. I'm your host, Scott Laird, and please welcome my co-host, Chief Operating Officer of A Rood Awakening International, Ted Clayton. Well, thank you for letting me be here, Scott. It's another great Sabbath. It is, certainly, and uh, we start a new series tonight. Yes. This is the Messianic Prophecies with uh, Michael Rood and Nehemia Gordon. Yes, it's going to be a fantastic, a fantastic teaching tonight uh, with Nehemia and Michael trying to merge the two uh, the two types of teachings the Jew, from the Jewish uh, viewpoint and from the Christian religious and messianic viewpoint right it's like, well how do we correlate these two and that's yes. what Nehemiah is trying to explain is that well you know Jewish expectations that there are actually two messiahs right two right. different messiahs and Christians right. understand well Yeshua is coming back to return so there's the first disconnect yeah the second one is that you know we understand the suffering servant right and on the, the, on, on the messianic side on the Messianic side, right, for Yeshua's first coming. That's mm -hmm. why the Jews didn't recognize him. They went, oh, no, no, we're supposed to be waiting for this king who's supposed right. to take us out of Roman rule. Right. Where is he? This wasn't yeah. him. This is a guy that got crucified. Indeed. So that is where uh, the disconnect comes from. And mm. so uh, that is what Michael Rood and uh, Nehemi are gonna be talking about tonight. It is a first episode of uh, three episodes. And uh, why don't you take a look? Here's what we're gonna see tonight. We can summarize like this. The Jews are expecting today, a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, that the Messiah will come. He'll defeat the enemies of Israel, gather in the exiles, and bring eternal peace to the world. Two prophecies we read, and it's as clear as day. That's what's going to happen. And with the other prophecies, there are so many other prophecies that all dovetail into that. Absolutely, this is a theme throughout the Tanakh mm -hmm. of there'll be a worldwide judgment under the King Messiah, he'll be king over the entire earth. Uh, all of mankind will, will be uh, subjugated to his rule, will accept his rule, um, and the exiles will be gathered in, there'll be peace, peace on earth. Mm -hmm. Right? Okay. Goodwill towards men and peace on earth, right? So this is the image of the Messiah that Jews were expecting. In fact, this is the image of the Messiah that the disciples of Yeshua were expecting. And how do I know that? Because it says it in the New Testament. All right, so there you go, more of Nehemiah and Michael. It's gonna be an outstanding teaching. Don't go anywhere, go get, your, go get your snacks right now because you're not gonna to wanna to miss a moment of Michael and Nehemiah. All right, so now let's get to the calendar before we get into anything else. It is the fourth Shabbat on the 11th month of the astronomically and agriculturally corrected biblical Hebrew calendar. And what you're seeing on the screen there is one of the last pages on our calendar for this year. And we have actually introduced a brand new 
review calendar. Oh, uh, yes, Moses, I'm so excited about that. Moses and the Pharaoh. Here, yeah. take a look on the screen there. That's yep. what it looks like. That's what the cover is going to look it's gonna like. It's going to be fantastic once again. Our artists and our uh, our people who are checking the dates right now are, are getting everything prepared, but you've got an extra special uh, secret about this calendar. Uh, that's right. All the, uh, the images in this year's calendar are coming from this book, Battle for the Firstborn by Mary Nell Wyatt. And you're going, Wyatt, is that the same Ron Wyatt? Indeed. Yes. This Indeed. is the widow of Ron Wyatt, now Mary Nell Wyatt Lee. She's married to Randall Lee. You've seen them both on Shabbat mm -hmm. Night Live before. Indeed. And uh, Mary Nell wrote a book about Battle for the Firstborn in which she discovered that uh, King Tut was actually the Pharaoh's first son who died in the 10th plague of the wow. Exodus. Wow. It's amazing. And you, when you read this book and you tie it all together, you're like, wow, that is really true. And it turns out that the most fascinating thing to me was not even that. It was the fact that if you look on the, the front cover of our calendar, you have yes. these two opposing faces. One, of course, is King Tut. Yeah. And uh, there's secrets behind King Tut, too. It's not really King Tut's face, but you can get the calendar and learn more about that. But the other guy is Moses. There are actually oh. statues of Moses, of what he actually looked like when he was a young man in Egypt, wow. and no one knew about it until this very time. And it's amazing, and you can tell, and Mary Nell says the thing that spoke to her, uh, and that you can tell the difference is, uh, the Egyptian uh, photos everywhere, the hieroglyphics mm -hmm. and all that yeah, kind of thing, yeah. they all have the same type of nose. But then there's this Hebrew nose that is completely different shaped. It's a very uh, you know, Middle Eastern looking uh -huh. thing yeah, rather yeah. than the, the uh, Asian uh, European, or Asian, European, Asian uh, Egyptian style yeah, of nose. Yeah, sure, sure, I get and it. And this is what differentiates it. And only the statues that are suspected to be of Moses look like this. Wow. They're the only ones in all of Egypt that look like this. Well, can they go ahead and pre-order the calendar yes. now? Yes, as a matter of fact, right now, there's the uh, information on the bottom of your screen. Yes. Uh, you can pre-order the calendars right now. They're 20% off if you get it now. And uh, they will be shipped out, of course, after Passover, because right. we have to wait until the first sliver of the new moon of the first month of the Aviv. We have to wait for that. Then we tell the, uh, the printer to go, and you'll have an accurate calendar after that point. Next year is going to be interesting on this calendar. Once we roll around <laughs> to the 13th month, yeah. there is going to be a month of the Aviv, and uh, there may be uh, other situations other there as well. Happening. Very interesting. So yeah. you get your calendar now, and you can see that uh, coming up. Now, uh, regarding tonight, so you know, where do Christians go wrong with the with the Torahlessness expectations of Yeshua? That is kind of the question that uh, Nehemiah and and Michael are bringing out tonight, right. because that's just it. You know, the Christians don't understand that. Yeshua is going to return and reign for a thousand years. Absolutely, and the rule book's going to be the Torah. Right, exactly right, and and and, and that's where uh, that's where Michael and Nehemiah are able to mesh and explain things mm -hmm. and explain why uh, Yeshua is who he is. Right. And it's just gonna be fantastic, ladies and gentlemen. I know we keep saying, don't go anywhere because <laughs> it's important. Don't go anywhere. This is gonna be a fabulous teaching tonight and you don't wanna miss a second of it. And speaking, I'm not missing anything. So January Love Gift has come and gone. Yep, it's, it's time gone. for a new one. Yep. The new teaching is Michael's brand new, The Second Sabbath. Now, this is all about a teaching that uh, tells us that, you know, it's, you know one of those passages you read in the Bible mm -hmm. that you pass over it a thousand times yes. and it doesn't mean anything. Michael says, nope, stop, pay attention because we're talking about a second Sabbath. What does that mean? Yeah. And lo and behold, it unlocks uh, the key to putting together the 70-week ministry of Messiah. 
So this is really important for folks to share with their friends to, who say, where do you get this 70 week idea? Yeah. This ties it together, makes a whole lot of sense. And you know Michael, he, he yes. explains things very well. Yes. So this is your gift for your, for your donation to this ministry of $50 or more. Michael yes. says, have this teaching, no one else gets it, thank you very much, it's yep. my gift to you. That's right. So this is his gift for uh, $50. Yep. For $100, you'll get this, and uh, Ted, if you'll help me uh, hold I up will. this. That looks like a doormat. Well, well because, because it, it is. is a doormat. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shalom doormat. And so you'll get this. Uh, it's, a wonder, it's all rubber. It's very heavy. In yeah, it is. it is. And so you'll get that with a gift of $100 or more uh, in addition to the teaching. And for $300, you'll get this, this, and... A beautiful, beautiful tapestry. tapestry. Tell can, us about this one, Scott. Well, you, it doesn't come with a rod, but the right. idea is you buy a, uh, you know, like a... Uh, curtain rod, you yes. throw it through there and you hang mm -hmm. it up on your wall. Mm -hmm. This is a depiction of, uh, on your side, Ted, there's uh, Elijah. Elijah. Oh, pardon me, uh, Aaron. Aaron. A Elijah's Elijah. in the middle. And Moses. And Moses, yes. It has the Shema in Hebrew at the top and English beneath it and uh, some other verses down below uh, regarding these three uh, patriarchs on the bottom of the tapestry. And this is yours for a donation of $300 or more. And just to talk about the quality of this, Scott, this is this is absolute showroom quality stuff here. This, yes. is, this tapestry feels uh, uh, almost ancient as, <laughs> as you look. And it, and it is gonna be beautiful on your wall. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, we're just, we're just talking about people uh, allowing to see these things and to be able to express your faith and be able to say, because people will walk in your house and go, oh, that's pretty. What is that? And you can explain that and mm. you can explain what's going on with that. So these are wonderful love gifts and we want you to have one today. Indeed. All right. Thanks very much, Ted. All right. Learn the reasons why even today Jews doubt Messiah's first coming and what we can learn from them about his second coming. But first, it's the Kiddish with Michael. Stay tuned. If you read the Bible on a regular basis, you have experienced it. The passage you've dismissed a dozen times suddenly jumps out and becomes the key to understanding everything. In this month's Love Gift teaching, Michael Rood shows you how to use an often dismissed passage to explain the timing of Yeshua's 70-week ministry. Most of your Bibles will say it was on another Sabbath because the second Sabbath after the first doesn't make any sense. Unless, you're living in a biblical culture. The Second Sabbath by Michael Rood reveals the gravity of what Yeshua did and, more importantly, why he did it. But the only way to watch it is to receive it as our gift. Donate a $50 love gift and we'll send you The Second Sabbath on DVD or Blu-ray. Or for a donation of $100, we'll send you The Second Sabbath plus a welcome mat with the Hebrew greeting, Shalom a unique way to bless all your guests with the peace of Yehovah. Or as a special offer for a donation of $300, we'll send you the Second Sabbath, the Welcome Mat, and this 32-inch Biblical Tapestry featuring the Shema from Deuteronomy, plus depictions of Moses, Aaron, and Elijah. These gifts are available only in February and supplies are limited. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. Remember, this offer ends February 28th and supplies are limited. Call now to receive your gifts 
888-766-3610. That's 888-766-3610. Or get your gifts online at monthlylovegift.com. If you like what you see on Shabbat Night Live, you'll love the bonus episodes. Now available only on the MichaelRue.tv app. These bonus episodes dive deep to give you more serious study, cutting-edge content, and righteous raves you won't find anywhere else. It's Michael Rood Uncut. Sign up now to get the MichaelRude.tv app free for 14 days. It's everything Michael Rood plus all new bonus episodes you won't find anywhere else. Sign up to watch now at MichaelRude.tv. For the past 20 years, I've lived in the land of Israel, and I've had many occasions to eat in the home of Orthodox Jews, and on Shabbat, as the two hollow loaves were brought out, representing the double portion of manna that fell from heaven, and that we would not need to be collecting manna the next day, but his provision is there for us. And as they said the blessing, Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech ha'olam, homotzi lechem min ha'aretz. I, of course, know the Adonai is really Yehovah. I know that. And then as they took the cup and said, Baruch atah Yehovah, Adonai, Eloheinu melech ha'olam, barei pari ha'gofen, I would sit at that table and I would recognize and understand that what they are doing, this is what was done from the time that the Melech Zadik brought forth bread and wine to Abraham. And Yeshua said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. This cup represents the renewed covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, wherever you do it, you do it in remembrance of me. The remembrance of them are all around. And this is what the Almighty put in place for us to understand. And this is why Yeshua said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. We do this in remembrance of him. Shabbat Shalom. Several years ago, I returned to the United States of America from living in Israel for several years. And I needed to get a perspective of where the American Christians were at, and so I attended some churches, Sunday school classes, Bible studies for uh, in the community, and I was really shocked to understand where these American Christians were coming from, especially the older generation that I was associating with. And as I began to delve into it, I was hearing over and over again that the the perspective of American Christian is that they don't understand how the Jews missed Yeshua's coming. How did they miss him with all of these prophecies? How could they not understand this? But as I was listening to them, I realized that they were missing all of the prophecies about him coming, the Messiah coming, the son of David, and reigning and ruling upon the earth. And so 
I really needed to bring these two perspectives together, so I've asked our friend Nehemia Gordon uh, to join us for Shabbat Night Live. Nehemia, you went to church with me a few years ago, sat in the Sunday school class, and uh, yeah. uh, and and you know, I I really want you to tell your story, your perspective of what Israel was expecting in the first century. What were the prophecies that really made sense to the people then? Why did they overlook what Christians think are plain as day, uh, scriptures that, that speak of Yeshua, but yet uh, there are other ways of looking at these scriptures that would mm-hmm. cause people to, uh, to to question and and have concerns about these things. So, mm-hmm. um, my my experience is that the Christian world has completely missed the Messiah ruling from the throne of King David, ruling over the entire earth. That they've already missed that part. And, mm-hmm. but they want to uh, blame Jews for missing mm-hmm. uh, any reference to Yeshua coming. So from your perspective. So, so a lot of times when Jews and Christians will have this conversation and they'll talk about, I mean, the number I've heard thrown out is that, that Jesus fulfilled 350 prophecies and uh, nobody else, uh, there's you know, to be astronomical odds that anybody could fulfill those prophecies and they just can't understand why it is Jews don't accept this when Jews do believe in the Bible in the Old Testament mm-hmm. where these prophecies appear. Um, and But when you actually sit down to it, a lot of times the prophecy, or a given prophecy that a Christian, which what's something that would be obvious to a Christian is a prophecy about a future Messiah that is future from the time it was written, to the Jew is, well, that's just David reciting a psalm or, or praying to God. Mm-hmm. So take something as simple as Psalm 22, right? A lot of times the argument between the Jew and the Christian is about the verse whether it says uh, my hands and my feet were crucified or whether there were lions surrounding my hands and my feet, which even some Christian translations have today based on the Masoretic text, I think that's that's kind of missing the point from my perspective. The bigger issue is the prophet, some, many of the prophecies Christians identify as being uh, messianic prophecies, Jews don't see it. Uh, and and I'll, let's just look at a really um, uh, interesting, like a simple example. Um, so, and, and, and here's a prophecy that if I were a, a Christian, I would bring this as a prophecy about the coming of the Messiah. Lamentations chapter four, verse 20. It says, the breath of our, li- the, the breath of our life, Mashiach Yehovah, the anointed of Yehovah was captured in their traps. Now, no one considers this to be a messianic prophecy. And why does nobody consider this to be a messianic prophecy? As far as I know, right? Um, uh, Because here, Jeremiah is talking about the destruction of the temple and the Messiah who is captured in their traps is understood by Jews to be um, the king of Israel. That is, and, and here we have to back up a bit. What does the word Mashiach even mean? Mashiach, Messiah, Christ, Christ is the Greek translation of Mashiach. It means anointed one. And the mm-hmm. idea was that in ancient Israel, uh, before someone could be made king of Israel, the prophet would take a jug of oil, pour it on his head, and then he would be proclaimed to be the anointed one. That mm-hmm. is, he was anointed as king over Israel. We have a beautiful scene where we hear about how um, uh, uh, God calls on uh, Elijah to anoint three different people. 
right? One of them is Yehu, king of Israel. The other is uh, the king of Syria. And the third one is actually um, a prophet, right? So we have an institution of Messiah, which isn't actually king, it's prophet. Uh, Elisha was anointed as prophet. So, and then Isaiah, um, Isaiah, we hear about how he has anointed me this day. It seems like it's a prophetic, anointed as prophet. Mm-hmm. The first time the word Messiah appears in the Tanakh, it's talking about the high priest and he's sinning. First time the word ever appears, Mashiach. So, Lamentations 4.20, no one claims that's a messianic prophecy, but you could, right? You could take it out of context and say, breath of our life, the Lord's anointed was captured in the traps. Here is a prediction of the coming of Yeshua who was captured in the traps of the Pharisees. As far as I know, Christians don't make that claim. Um, It doesn't appear in the list of 350, at least the one I consulted. Mm -hmm. Maybe some do make that claim. So what I wanna do is the starting point for me is to focus on the prophecies that everyone agrees are messianic prophecies. And once we do that, I think we can get a better understanding of what it is Jews expect today, what they expected a thousand years ago, and what even the disciples of Yeshua were expecting according to the New Testament. Okay. So, so let's, okay. can we do that? Can we look at Isaiah chapter 11? Everyone agrees this is a messianic prophecy. And again, by messianic prophecy, the word Messiah doesn't appear there. But what we mean by messianic prophecy is that uh, the Jews have this hope of the coming of a Davidic Messiah, someone from the line of David who will accomplish certain things. We're about to see what he'll accomplish. Okay. Isaiah chapter 11, verse one. And there, shall come a four, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Okay, who's Jesse? Jesse's the father of David. Mm-hmm. Right, so in other words, there'll be a descent of King David who will come out of this tree and a branch will shoot forth. We could dwell on the nuances here of the word netzer. Let's not even go into that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, okay, the spirit of Yehovah shall rest on him, on this Davidic king, on the Messiah. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of Yehovah. His delight shall be in the fear of Yehovah. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide by what his ears hear. So the Messiah, as Jews understand it, will be a prophet of some sort, right? He's not just deciding things based on his own wisdom. He has the spirit of Yehovah resting upon him and giving him a wisdom he couldn't naturally understand. Um, But with righteousness, he'll judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, right? So this is some kind of image of the Messiah is going to um, uh, carry out judgment Mm-hmm. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be, uh, be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. And then there's a series of images that are very famous of peace and tranquility. The wolf shall live with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the kid. I'll skip ahead here because it's, it's, it, these are metaphors. I, I presume they're metaphors, it is, of, um, of uh, animals who normally would be uh, hunter and prey are now living together peacefully. Mm-hmm. Um, then verse nine, they will not hurt or destroy on all of my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of Jehovah as the waters cover the sea. And then it goes on, verse 10. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the people. The nations shall inquire of him and his dwelling shall be glorious. So there's this understanding from the Jewish perspective, the whole world will accept the Messiah. No, no, he's not just the king, 
He's not just the king of the Jews. The whole world will acknowledge the Messiah. On that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that is left of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, and a bunch of other places. So what do we have? We have the coming of the Messiah, the world acknowledging him as the Messiah, and the ingathering of the exiles. And this Mm -hmm. is a key part in Messianic prophecies from the Jewish perspective, repeatedly in the prophets, that God will gather in the dispersed of Israel. And beautiful here, he says, verse 12, he will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel. By the way, I'm reading from a Christian translation here, right? Um, So it's not something that the Jews have changed in translation about what the Messiah is. And gather the dispersed of Judah in the four corners of the earth. And it's beautiful here what it says in the next verse, 13 of Isaiah 11. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart. The hostility of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah and Judah shall not be hostile towards Ephraim. So not only are we talking about the ingathering of the exiles of Judah, but the ingathering of what today is often referred to as the 10 lost tribes. Mm-hmm. That is Ephraim, which was the main tribe of the Northern Kingdom. The, all of the Israelites will be gathered back to the land by God. So the number one thing that the Jews are expecting uh, is the ingathering of the exiles and all of the nations looking to this Messiah uh, after apparently he, he smites them with the, the rod of his mouth, right? So he defeats Israel's enemies and they then acknowledge him as the Messiah, as the king, king of the entire earth. And, and the exiles are gathered back in. Isaiah 2 is another indisputably messianic prophecy. Let's just read it real quick. Um, in, in days to come, the mountain of Jehovah's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. All the nations are streaming to Jerusalem, not to Rome, you know, not to um, some other place, but to Jerusalem. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of Jehovah, to the house of the God of Jacob. Then he teach us his ways and that we walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the Torah and the word of Jehovah from Jerusalem. So we have this image of uh, all mankind turning to the God of Israel and coming to Jerusalem. And then verse four says, he shall judge between the nations. And you could argue who's judging. Is it Yehovah or is it the Messiah, his representative on earth? Doesn't matter. This is a messianic prophecy about the end times. In fact, it uses the word, acharita yamim, which is the Hebrew term that is usually translated end times mm-hmm. um, or end of days by some. He shall judge between the nations, shall arbitrate for many peoples, and he shall... They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spear into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So we can summarize like this. The Jews are expecting today, a thousand years ago, 2,000 years ago, that the Messiah will come. He'll defeat the enemies of Israel, gather in the exiles, and bring eternal peace to the world. Two prophecies we read, and it's as clear as day, that's what's gonna happen. And with the other prophecies, there are so many other prophecies that all Mm. dovetail into that. Absolutely, this is a theme throughout the Tanakh Mm -hmm. of there'll be a worldwide judgment under the King Messiah, he'll be king over the entire earth. Uh, All of mankind will will be uh, subjugated to his rule, will accept his rule, Um, and exiles will be gathered in, there'll be peace, peace on earth. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. Goodwill towards men and peace on earth, right? So this is the image of the Messiah that Jews were expecting. In fact, this is the image of the Messiah that the disciples of Yeshua were expecting. And how do I know that? Because it says it in the New Testament. 
Okay, well, let's, let's dig into that because okay. here we are, the first century Jewish followers of Yeshua mm -hmm. and what was their expectation? Because that's not outside the pale. They are not all Christians. I mean, these are, these are Jews raised in Israel and they are expecting something and their expectation is disappointed, is it not? Their, their expectation is different than what the, these, the, the, follower, the actual disciples of Yeshua on the third day after the crucifixion were, did not know what the typical evangelical Christian considers to be so obvious that they curse the Jews for not knowing it. I was told this recently. I sat down with this family and the and the, the mother of the family said to me, and and the, she asked me the question, why is it the Jews don't accept uh, the 350 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled? And I said, let's come up with some answers together. Let's brainstorm because hmm. you might come up with ideas. I, I have no idea what they are, right? Yeah. And okay. she came and she said, well, I think the reason is the Jews rejected their Messiah, and so as punishment for rejecting their Messiah, God will not let them see that Yeshua is their Messiah. Okay, so God has decided that's to punish a, that's Israel. A circular, but uh, so so God decided to punish Israel, and therefore they can't see what should be obvious. Um, this actually is a, a anti-Semitic trope from the Middle Ages. You go to the Diaspora Museum, and you can see uh, an anti-Semitic book uh, written in. Um, in France, and it shows a devil, it shows Satan with his horns and 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 you know the feet and everything, and he's tying a blindfold around the Jew, and the assumption there is that the, that everyone should obviously know that Jesus is the Messiah, and the only reason the Jews would not know that is because God's preventing them intentionally from doing it. So let's see what the New Testament says, Luke chapter twenty-four. I want to start there. Okay. On the first day of the week at early dawn, I'm reading here the NRSV, they came to the tomb taking spices that they had prepared. These are the women. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, why are they perplexed? Didn't they know what every evangelical Christian knows, that on the third day the tomb would be empty? Instead, they're like, what's going on here? The tomb's empty. They were bringing spices. They expected the body to be there. Somebody right. asked me recently, what were the purposes of the spices? Bodies stink. And so mm -hmm. to this day in Israel, many Jews, when a body is put in the ground, we don't use in Israel... Uh, um, uh, no embalming. We don't embalm and we don't use a casket. Jews are wrapped up in a sheet, usually in a talit, and they're put in the ground. And so what many people will do is they'll take a bottle of perfume, and I mean like Calvin Klein, right? And they'll smash it inside the grave so that the stench isn't smelled. Um, now, there's no stench the day they're burying it, but come back two weeks later and dig down there, and that's not going to smell good. So to this day, they'll anoint bodies to cover over the smell. Um, they were perplexed about this. Suddenly, two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. At this point, they should say, woo, he's risen, hallelujah. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to the sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. That's earlier in Luke. Mm -hmm. Then they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the 11 and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them who told this to the disciples. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. These are the 11 disciples of Yeshua. What do you mean they didn't believe him? They're sitting there in a house in Jerusalem 
and they don't believe, the tomb's empty. The women say, angels appeared to us and told us the tomb is empty. And their response is, crazy women, crazy story of old wives' tales. That's mm -hmm. literally their response. And you should just, uh, you know, less than a week before, said he must go to Jerusalem. He'll be delivered into mm -hmm. the hands of the Gentiles. The Gentiles will kill him, and he will rise the third day. So they just told it to him. So, so now let's ask the question: When he said that to them, how did they not say, "Oh, okay, of course the tomb's empty on the third day"? He said he will rise. No, they heard that and they said that must be a metaphor or something. Rise mm -hmm. in the third day means you'll defeat the Roman legions on the third day. It couldn't possibly mean you're going to be actually dead and you're going to rise from the, from the grave on the third day because we never heard of that concept. And now think about mm -hmm. it. These people hadn't read Isaiah 53. They don't know in Isaiah 53 what's obvious to every Christian that the Messiah will be killed and will rise again. I'm sure they read Isaiah 53 and they understood it the way many Jews understood it. Many Jews understood it. We read the other day together the Targum, uh, ancient tra Aramaic translation, and Isaiah 53 in the Targum is about a conquering Messiah who defeats the enemies of Israel, gathers in the exiles, and brings peace to the world. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so, verse 11. But yeah, the, you just had to read the entire prophecy. Right. The entire so, context right. is so, there. And, and it's interesting, I'll see, like, the Jews for Jesus will see this, you know, because today the position of most Jews is, well, Isaiah 53 is talking about Israel collectively. And the response will be, see, the word Messiah appears in the Targum. Yeah, but read the rest of the Targum. The Targum is talking about a conquering Messiah who defeats the enemies of Israel, gathers in the exiles, and brings peace to the world. Uh Luke 24, 12, but Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves. Some people say he saw the Shroud of Turin. <laughs> then he went home in amaze at what had happened and, and uh, what happened. Now, and this is, the, this is the key part. I love this story. Yeah. Luke 24, 13, now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. Emmaus is the site where up until 1967, for 19 years, Arab snipers would not let Jews drive up on the main road to Jerusalem, and so Jews had to take a bypass road. They used to call it the Burma Road, after the road that was made in Burma to get to China mm. uh, by the British. It was this road, they made it the last minute, and it was a very difficult road. So Jews had to take a bypass for 19 years because there were snipers in Emmaus, um, those Arabs who lived in Emmaus up until 1967 were direct descendants of the Roman legions who destroyed Jerusalem in the year 70 AD. We're told this by Josephus, that as a reward for destroying Jerusalem, these Roman veterans are given Jewish land from the Jews that were taken as slaves and mm. off into the Roman Empire, and they, and they settle it in the colony of Emmaus. So this is Jewish Emmaus before the destruction of the temple. And talking with each other about all these things that had happened, right? They're walking on the road and they're talking. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, I was talking to uh, uh, this Christian family and, I, and they asked me the question, why don't, is it the Jews don't, don't see the obvious fulfillment of the 350 prophecies? I said, let's read Luke 24 together. Before I said a word, the father of the family said, oh, verse 16, that's the answer. And I was shocked because I'd read this story many times. And him saying verse 16, um, it was a profound realization for me because verse 16 is not the answer. 
What verse 16 says is the two disciples walking on the road to Jerusalem couldn't see that a certain person walking with them was Yeshua. Nothing to do with the prophecies, as we'll see. Mm-hmm. Okay, and he said to them, Yeshua said to them, what are you discussing with each other while, while you walk along? along? They s- stood still looking sad. Why are they sad? They should be jumping for joy. He's risen, the tomb is empty. But they're sad. Why are they sad? They tell him why they're sad. Mm-hmm. Then one of them, his name is Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and leaders delivered or handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, past tense, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. What does that mean? So first of all, at this point in the third day, they're convinced he failed to redeem Israel. Mm-hmm. What, so what was the hope? What was the expectation they were looking for? We just read it. Gather, defeat the enemies of Israel, gather in the exiles and bring peace to the world. They're walking on the third day and the man they believed was the Messiah was killed by the Romans, put in a grave for three days, and now his body was missing. And the assumption there that they had is someone stole the body. To add insult to injury, his body's been desecrated because it's been stolen. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us that we were at the tomb early this, uh, they were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not, but they did not see him. So up until this point, their conclusion is he failed to redeem Israel because he didn't defeat the Romans, he didn't gather in the exiles, he certainly didn't bring peace to the world. And this was the understanding they had up until this point. The actual disciples of Yeshua had the same understanding on the third day after the crucifixion that most Jews have today, that Jews had a thousand years ago. Look, there's Jews who don't even believe in God, right? I'm talking about the Jews who believe in scriptures. The view of most Jews is that the Messiah will be a conquering king who will bring peace to the world. And of course, Christians, if they acknowledge that at all, they'll say, well, that's the second coming. Right? They'll say, he'll do that next time. He's not doing that now. Um, this is the hope that, of, that, that the Jews had. Mm-hmm. Now he goes on, verse 25. Then he said to them, Yeshua said to the two men, oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into this glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. Now, if you stop the story here, and I've taught this before and I stopped here because I didn't have enough time. But if you stopped here, you might think, well, they're convinced now. They know all the 352 prophecies now. And they accept that those 352 prophecies apply to Yeshua. But that's not what it says. Right. Verse uh, 28. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, not to the prophecies. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, 
Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? So what they're really saying is, look, we didn't actually agree with him at that point because it was just some random guy interpreting scriptures as applying to Yeshua. But something in their hearts burned. They were moved some way spiritually hearing this. And now that they realized who he was, they're like, okay, we accept those prophecies. Hmm. Although even then they're not done. Verse 33, that same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and their companions gathered together. They, uh, they were saying, the Lord is risen indeed and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. While they were talking about this, Yeshua himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost, right? So they still don't believe he's risen from the dead. They think he's a ghost. <laughs> he said to them, what are you frightened? And why do, you, why do, your, uh, do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost is not a flesh and bones as you uh, see that I have. And when, he said, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy, they were disbelieving. <laughs> this is amazing. Verse 41. While in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering. He said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate in their presence. And he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And now in verse 45, the shift happens. Up until now, they don't, they see him with their own eyes and they don't believe Yeshua has risen from the grave. They, they, um, they, they still, they're rejoicing and they still have doubts until verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. Now, where is the verse which says the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day? Let's get back to that. Let's leave that for now. Okay, okay? all right. All right. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins to be proclaimed in all nations, you are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending you what my father promised, so stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Okay, now... I want to jump ahead to Acts chapter one, if we can. Okay, yeah. Because Acts is a continuation of Luke. Mm-hmm. Um, Acts chapter one, in the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all, meaning of, in the book of Luke. Mm-hmm. I wrote about all that Yeshua did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven, etc. Let's jump ahead. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem. We just re- we literally just read that, right? Mm-hmm. He's referring right. back to what we read in Luke 24. But to wait there for the promise of the Father, this, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not, uh, not many days from now. And I love this, verse six. Verse six. He's just revealed to them the 352 prophecies, or maybe there were a thousand in the Tanakh that they didn't realize applied to him. And we'll see in a minute why they didn't realize it. Right. And so, you know, so he had had to have explained it to them and said, thus it is written, and thus it it is required. And he's opened their eyes, and and their reply is um, uh, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? So what are they still right. waiting for? Okay, we get the 352 prophecies that apply to you. Now can we go fight the Romans and defeat the and restore the Davidic kingdom? 
And his response is not for you to know the time or the periods that the Father is set by his authority, but you will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you and the rest is known. Mm-hmm. Acts chapter mm-hmm. two, the Holy Spirit, Shavuot. So here's the point. The disciples who lived with Yeshua were on the road to Emmaus. They were expecting that the Messiah would defeat the enemies of Israel. And that was really the main one for them at that point. They were living under Roman subjugation. Mm-hmm. That would have been nice, the ingathering of the exiles. But we can live without that. But we got to have the, the Romans defeated, driven out of our land and have freedom and, and, and tranquility again. Uh, defeat the enemies of Israel, Israel, gather in the exiles, bring peace to the world. On the road to Emmaus, they're upset because he didn't do that and his body is missing. So finally they're told, okay, he's resurrected. And he says to them, he explains them all these prophecies and they still say, is this the time when you'll restore the kingdom to Israel? Meaning the Davidic kingdom. Now is it? Now can we take up swords against the Romans or blow on them and destroy the entire Roman army with your breath? Whatever it takes, just do it. Right, it says he will uh, you know, uh, smite the nations with the, the, his mouth. So, um, so the very disciples of Yeshua had the same expectation as the Jews did of his day, as the Jews of a thousand years ago, and frankly, as the Jews do today. We're looking for a Davidic Messiah who will come and, and, def- and bring peace to the world after defeating God's enemies and gathering in the, or as part of it is defeating God's enemies and, and, and mm-hmm. uh, gathering in the exiles. So I read, so here's the point. When you read certain prophecies that are presented as prophecies in the New Testament, and you look at them in context, and Michael, I've seen this a hundred times. The Christian will sit down all proud with the Jewish rabbi, and he'll say, I can prove to Yeshua is the Messiah. 352 prophecies he fulfilled in chronological order. And the Jew says, let's go through them. And they open them one after the other. And the Christian very often is, is either gets upset because he knows Jesus is the Messiah and here's this Jew blaspheming. That's actually usually the response. Or he's kind of embarrassed and says, what is going on here? I was never taught this in church. And let's just take a really simple example. Uh, I've, I've shared this in the past. Matthew chapter two, or no, sorry, Matthew chapter one. No, it's a Matthew two. I'm gonna have you go look at the source. It's Hosea chapter 11. Verse one. <clears throat> now, if you never looked at the source, you wouldn't know. You would think um, Hosea, the prophet, had a prophecy about the Messiah, and it's obvious that this is a prophecy about the Messiah. Anybody who reads Hosea will know this is a messianic prophecy, and if they refuse to see it, it's either because Satan has blinded them or God has blinded them as a punishment or they're willfully ignoring what's obvious in front of their eyes. This is Hosea. Chapter 11, verse one. But first let me read you Matthew. Okay. Um, uh, Chapter two, verse 14. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, quote, out of Egypt I have called my son. And Hosea in his prophecy, chapter 11, verse one, read the full verse. When Israel was a child, when I loved him and called my son out of Egypt, as they called him, so they went from them. 
They sacrificed unto Baalim and burned incense to graven images. So there's nothing in Hosea that would indicate this is talking about the Messiah. On the contrary, it explicitly tells you it's talking about Israel. And the point of the prophecies, even though I called my son Israel out of Egypt. And where do we get this idea that Israel is God's son? Well, it says that Moses says to Pharaoh, he says, let my son, my firstborn son go. And if you don't, I'm gonna kill your firstborn son. Right. Mm -hmm. Right, that was the warning. So the point of Hosea is even though God called his son Israel out of Egypt, Israel still sinned by going and sacrificing to the Baals. Mm-hmm, all right. Does, well, they got how it, could this possibly be a messianic prophecy? Now, we're left with a number of options. One is that, and I'm not saying this is what, I'm, what I believe, I'm saying these are the different possibilities, even in theory. One is that uh, Matthew knew exactly what it said in that prophecy and was sitting there terrified, hoping the Jews would never check in, in the book of Hosea, and he was hoping he could trick them into believing in Jesus and, and lived in constant fear that someone would go check his work, that they would open up Hosea and say, wait a minute, Matthew, this is about Israel, not about the Messiah. Yeah, and Matthew was a Levite. That was option number <laughs> one. I don't think that's the case. Another possibility is Matthew or Matthew's source, depending how who you think Matthew is. I'm, let's not get into that. The source of Matthew could have been these different things that were revealed to the disciples in Luke 24. In other words, it says he opened to them all the scriptures okay. concerning himself in the law and the prophets and the Psalms, Psalms mean the writings, meaning in all the Tanakh, there were 10,000 prophecies. I don't know what the number is because we don't have the information. We only have some of them. That all of these prophecies concerning the Messiah were opened and revealed to them. Now, why did he need to open and reveal to them the, the messianic application of those prophecies? Because when you read most of them in context, they don't sound like they have anything to do with the Messiah. And so this was a revelation that he gave to them. Mm -hmm. And now it explains why they're walking on the road to Emmaus and they're upset. Because they read Isaiah 53 and they had no clue it had to do with the Messiah being killed. They had heard him say this statement, he would rise on the third day. They thought, yeah, that's a metaphor. What you mean is gonna rise and destroy the Romans on the third day. It'll be a three-day war and for two days we'll lose and on the third day, you'll crush the legions, slaughter the emperor and bring peace to the world. Something like that, right? In other words, the, the default position of these many of these prophecies and maybe all of these prophecies is not the explanation given in the... Um, in the New Testament. In other words, if you never read the New Testament, never heard of it, and you're reading Hosea, that's nothing to do with the Messiah here. You'd never in a million years know it had anything to do with the Messiah. Whereas according to Luke 24, the messianic application of those prophecies was revealed to the disciples. And if you believe that, then you read Matthew 2.15 and you say, this is no problem. Matthew knew the context but it was revealed to him or to one of the disciples who taught him that, um, that this was a messianic fulfillment that applied to the life of Yeshua. And I think, that, that, I think that's actually what Luke is saying, that Luke mm -hmm. is saying, without this, you would never know. And so what this man who I was sitting with told, you know, had said to me, well, the reason the Jews don't see those 350 prophecies is because God blind the, blinded the Jews. It's actually the opposite. 
The Jews have the default position, which is we're innocently reading Hosea talking about Israel being called out of Egypt. And it's a special revelation, I'll call it. Um, the opening of the eyes, uh, divine revelation according to Luke 24, that was given to Christians to understand or the followers of Yeshua to understand that these prophecies applied to him. And this is key, Michael, because I meet some Christians who are just so arrogant. We have all the answers. And that's not what the New Testament teaches. What the New Testament teaches is, it's not that Matthew was really clever and opened up Hosea and said, ah, this refers to Yeshua. It's quite different. It's according to Luke 24, it's that this was revealed to Matthew. And having that revelation that this applied to, um, to the life of Yeshua, he was able to say with full confidence, this will fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, out of Egypt I have called my son. And if you look at those 352 prophecies, I think you're gonna find many of them are, when you look in the context, don't sound like they have anything to do with Yeshua, but when you understand them, that this doctrine taught in Luke 24, and in many other places, right? In 1 Corinthians, he talked about the things that are revealed through the Holy Spirit seem like foolishness to those it hasn't been revealed to. So it's not that the things revealed are obvious. They're not obvious. That's why they need to be revealed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the reason that many Jews don't see these prophecies is it hasn't been revealed to them. And as a Jew, I think I can have the humility of saying I'm walking on the road to Emmaus, and if God wants to reveal this to me, I'm open to whatever revelation he gives me. That's honest. That's honest. That's all I can do. Yeah. You know, and I have people say, well, how do you not see it? It's obvious. Well, it wasn't obvious to the disciples of Yeshua, and it had to be revealed to them. And I think that should bring humility to the Christian side as well. Now, we, uh, Yeshua's first message uh, that is uh, recorded, um, you know, it's right after Shavuot uh, in John chapter five, and this is when he finds out John has been put in prison. He speaks of John in the past tense while he's speaking up on the Temple Mount uh, at the Feast of Shavuot, and then he immediately leaves Jerusalem and goes into the Galilee, begins teaching in the synagogues. Luke chapter three, he's in the Nazareth synagogue, and and he then reads from the stroll of Yeshua, Isaiah. And, and it is a, uh, th this is what, what yeah. you actually yeah, yeah. Uh, taught me about Yeshua yeah. breaking the three verse rule there. Right, right, right. So uh, can we talk about that in the, uh, next week on Shabbat Night Live? Because I think we're out of time. Oh my goodness. Well, if we are out of time, then we, <laughs> well, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, uh, we are going to continue on this because uh, what Yeshua does in this synagogue, uh, Nehemiah was the one that first revealed uh, because he understands that Yeshua was deliberately breaking a rabbinic rule in the synagogue, uh, which is now known as the three-verse rule, and you're gonna have to come back next week for the answer to this because uh, Yeshua is going to stop in the middle of a sentence and every eye is gonna be fastened on him. They are holding their breath. What? Is he, what has he just done, and what is he about to say? So, ladies and gentlemen, join us again next week on Shabbat Night Live as Nehemiah picks up the rest of the story with the prophecy that Yeshua read and said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Shabbat Shalom.